We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. And today we're here to do a little more season preview for the New York Giants coming up in 2023. And you've heard it all offseason, but you've heard, well, don't be excited about the Giants. They, you know, won nine games last year, but it's because they faced an easy schedule, because they faced some bad quarterbacks. But I feel like all of that doesn't account, or it doesn't take into account, I should say, some of the things that went wrong for the Giants last year. For example, their number one playmaker, expect, expected playmaker going into the season, Kadarius Tony, was a net zero. Their number two, I, essentially, I would say, Kenny, Kenny Galladay, was a net zero, you know, by default. They had injuries at crazy times. I looked at the lineup that they went into that Dallas Thanksgiving game with Nick. It was despicably bad. I mean, Tyree <laughs> Phillips was their starting right tackle. Jack Anderson was starting at left guard. Gates coming off that injury was starting at center. They had slew of injuries. Odori was out. One of the edges was out. I forgot who I think it was Aziz. Just Aziz. A slew of injuries in that game. So they dealt with some bad injuries last year. One, you know, and one specific group of their team that we're going to talk about today where they really hit injuries last year. And if you looked at the injury report already, Nick, for week one, it's a, I had a, took a breath of fresh air after I can't remember a giant season where week one, it looked like that. Now, like no offense to Javarius Owens of the world. Like God, God bless. I hope he gets healthy soon, but not a single starter on that list. And in my opinion, not a single important role player was on that injury report. I can't remember going into a week one like that at forever. So there's a lot of reasons I think to be excited about the Giants in 2023. I think there's a lot of reason to be ex for your expectations to be optimistic and hopeful that they can take that next step and that, you know, not, you know, even with a more difficult schedule, quote unquote, something that can be in a lot of ways, fool's goal, right? A difficult schedule now that looks like a difficult schedule now may not be a difficult schedule in week six and week four and week eight. So Nick and I are going to dive into our five biggest reasons for having so much optimism about the Giants heading into this 2023 season, Nick. And let's start us off. We're going to do it this way, going from one to five. So the reason we're most excited for first and then the one uh, and then in 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 order two three four five so nick start us off with the reason we're most excited about the giants heading into 2023 so dan i'm not 100% certain if this is the reason we're most excited but it's one talking point that i don't feel like we're discussing enough that can realistically manifest and that's why we have it one and that is the new and improved defensive front 
and what that's going to mean in terms of applying pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Because not only do you have Kayvon Thibodeau entering his second year, let's not forget he started his rookie season injured and did not appear until week three against the Dallas Cowboys. Not only do we have Dexter Lawrence entering his second season being a true bona fide stud, not only do we have Leonard Williams healthy, but we have Aziz Ojolari healthy and we have depth. Ashawn Robinson and Rakeem Nunez-Rochez are miles better than the depth that the New York Giants had last year. No offense to Ryder Anderson, Henry Mondu, and Justin Ellis, who more than likely should not be an NFL starter right now, or an NFL player, I should say. So the new and improved defensive line, that's going to solidify the run defense. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But what is that going to do, Dan, in terms of rushing the passer with Wink Martindale as your defensive coordinator, who is going to create one-on-one matchups? You know every center and guard wants to block Dexter Lawrence with help. They want a Jason help. But how are you going to give him a Jason help when you could bring a linebacker through the A-gap or you're going to force the tackles to kick out into space to cover Isaiah Simmons, who's looking to scream off the edge? Or are you going to trust the running back to do that? If so, Isaiah Simmons can get home. I just think this defensive improvement up front in the front seven especially, but with those edges and the defensive linemen, it's going to result in the more sacks. And that's not something that I feel like Giant fans and Giant Nation are really talking about too much. We're talking more so about the additions of Darren Waller, Jalen Hyatt, and all of the explosive weapons that are so exciting. I'm really excited about that. You are as well. But dude, this defensive front, they could be top five in sacks. And I don't think that's a ridiculous statement, especially if only like two of the players that we were talking about take a developmental step. If Kayvon and Aziz take that developmental step and then Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams just stagnate what we saw last year, this team is going to be something special on defense. I think you nailed it, Nick. Again, look, there's a lot of reasons to be excited about the Giants, I think, in 2023. But as far as the ceiling goes, I'm not positive there's a bigger area of this roster where there's a bigger, where's a higher ceiling, I should say, than on the defensive front. And, you know, there's some stats that back this up. So last season, the Giants only had 51 snaps where Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Aziz Ojolari were on the field at the same time, which is absolutely insane from a luck standpoint to only get, that's 51 plays over the course of a season. You get more in a game on the defense side of the ball. But during those 51 plays, 31 were pass attempts. They had a sack. Six quarterback hits. That's one out of every five was a quarterback hit. A plus five win probability over expected. And these are all stats according to Doug Analytics. Shout out Doug Doug Analytics. But also something I thought was cool, Nick, he brought up the EPA on those plays. The Giants defense had an EPA of 0.1 or minus minus 0.165. And just, you know, for those who don't want to get bogged down in what that means, EPA is essentially expected points added. So, it's, it's like an advanced metric to kind of determine a T the TLDR on this is determine how impactful and effective you are as a defense or an offense on a person that basis. And that number, Nick would have topped the 49ers defense who led the NFL with a point, uh, minus 0.112 EPA. It was better than the 49ers who led the NFL with that in those 51 snaps for those four on the field. You get those four on the field, Nick plus a Robinson wasn't even part of the mix. Plus, you have some actual depth with guys like Nacho to spell some of these guys and keep them fresh on the interior. Or, you know, guys like Boogie Basham, potentially, and Isaiah Simmons to spell the two big ones, Aziz and Kayvon, and give them an opportunity to stay healthier as well on the edge. Now you're talking about better up front, better depth, and a defense that showed, at least in a small sample size, a flash of being dominant, better than any defense in the NFL on an e- from an EPA standpoint on a per-snap basis. 
I think they have a chance to be top five or better than top five. I look across the NFL, man. There are some impressive teams, the Eagles, the 49ers. There are a lot of impressive fronts, but I don't know for sure that the Giants are definitely much worse than those fronts when you consider that Dexter Lawrence is easily, in my opinion, the best interior defensive lineman in the NFL, with the exception of Aaron Donald, and Aaron Donald doesn't play on a front like that. Same, you can maybe say Jeffrey Simmons on, from the Titans, but he doesn't play on a front like that either with Aziz, with Leonard, with Kayvon, with the depth we talked about. And that's just one player. You talk about Kayvon and Aziz potentially reaching their ceilings this year and a healthy deck, uh, Leonard Williams. Now you're talking about what I think could be potentially top three maybe top two, maybe top one if things break right. And I don't know if any other area of their roster has that upside, if I'm going to be completely honest about the situation. You brought up the depth. It's really important to bring that up because no knock on Tamon Fox. We like Tamon Fox. O'Shane Zimenez, he's okay. He's an okay player who doesn't really do the best job rushing the passer. But Boogie Basham is such an upgrade over both of those players. And I think that's going to go a long way as well. Not to mention just like we said, Rakeem Nunez Rochez and Ashawn Robinson as the depth pieces. If the Giants do sustain injuries like they did last year, now you have competent NFL players that you can cycle in there. And it's not going to hurt the fact that you can rush the passer. Wink Martindale, bro, he blitzed more than any team last year by a significant margin. He blitzed 39.7% of the time. The Arizona Cardinals blitzed 34.5% of the time under Vance Joseph. I expect Wink Martindale to still lead the league in blitzing, which is going to create those free rushers, which is going to create those one-on-one matchups. But last year, despite the fact that the Giants blitzed more than any other team, they were still high in terms of pressure rate, but they weren't number one. They weren't number two. They were number six. They pressured at the quarterback 24.3% of the time. The Giants bringing the blitz, that's going to stay the same. I think that pressure percentage, though, is going to go up. And I also think a lot of the reason why the Giants weren't getting pressure on some of those design blitzes was because those blitzes were diagnosed by opposing quarterbacks, and those quarterbacks were getting the football out of their hands very quickly. The Giants are well aware of that. Wink Martindale he's well aware of that. So what is that going to cause? It's going to cause the New York Giants to maybe be a little bit more aggressive now that their secondary is also upgraded and we could see some more interceptions, which the Giants desperately need because they had six interceptions last season. So hopefully we see some bad decisions from quarterbacks throwing to the flat and then Deontay Banks or Trey Hawkins the third biting down on it and then intercepting and taking it pick six to the house. Love to see that week one against the Dallas Cowboys, but I think that's well within the cards with this defense and this philosophy. Yeah, it's a great point, Nick. And I think about those two players you mentioned, Trey Hawkins and Deontay Banks. There's a bit more projection for me as far as them being upgrades. And same goes for Pinnock uh, in the secondary. I think there is a range of outcomes, unfortunately, where the Giants secondary isn't as good as it was last year because Julian Love's loss. I'm not saying it's definite and, and obviously Fabian Moreau's loss. We're hoping that it's not going to be the case. They certainly have more raw talent, I think, this year with Banks, with Pinnock, and, and with Hawkins as well. And look, Dan Duggan of The Athletic pulled the Giants players and, and asked them to come out with their breakout picks for the season, and it couldn't they couldn't name themselves. And the majority of those picks were Deontay Banks and Trey Hawkins. So clearly those guys are showing out in practice to, to their teammates as well. But I do feel like there's a lot more realized, or I should say, a better, the higher percentage chance of the breakout to me does come on the defensive front here with the New York Giants. And so it has me really, really excited about what they can mean. And you mentioned, you know, we've talked a bunch in the past about how Trevor Lawrence, uh, the game against Trevor Lawrence, and how it was a little bit of an oddball game plan from Wink Martindale, you know, a after a very aggressive season for the most part throughout, before that game, after that game, he did a lot of drop eight, drop seven type, type, type coverages. 
And there may be more quarterbacks on the schedule where he kind of wants to use that game plan against this year. And if those front four or front five are healthy this year, he may have the opportunity to actually do that, to actually just be like, I can rely on these four four guys up front to rush the passer, and I can drop seven into coverage against these better quarterbacks who are going to read the blitz and get the ball out fast so the blitz doesn't even matter and it's a wasted wasted blitz. And that alone gets me excited because there is that that pit feeling in my stomach, Nick, that's like, we are facing tougher quarterbacks this year. We haven't really seen much great quarterback play in the Wink Martindale era. Is there concern there? But with the ability to potentially mix things up and, and drop seven and drop eight at times, I feel more comfortable. One reason why the Giants were employing that against Jacksonville throughout the game was also because they were running power gap and just getting to the edge, and the Giants had to be more, they had to show more respect to their run fit. So they were a little bit less aggressive. But also on the final drive, when more than likely Jacksonville was not going to be running the football, they dropped eight three consecutive times. And I was like, wow. But they were also showing the fact that they were going to pressure. They were giving the illusion of pressure, which right. also can cause hesitation with some of these quarterbacks, which we've seen throughout the NFL. So just the fact that everybody knows Wink Martindale, pressure breaks pipes, that's his moniker. It's going to be in the back of the head of every quarterback. But now you have guys like Isaiah Simmons who can drop off the line of scrimmage and he can cover a lot of space to possibly undercut a route, intercept a pass or something like that because he is so versatile and explosive as an athlete when you don't send him on the blitz if you do decide to drop him in the coverage. I just think the personnel that Wink Martindale is working with, if they all remain healthy, knocking on wood, is so much better than what the personnel was last season when the Giants were still a respectable defense, albeit they could not fit the run at all. Yeah, you're right. And they're going to be healthier too. That's the key. Or we hope they're going to be healthier too. Yeah. That's the key because it's harder to be. Look, we just went over 51 snaps together last year. That's an insanely low number. It's hard in my mind, at least, Nick, to imagine that can get worse. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm right about that and not wrong about that. You never know in the NFL. But that alone should help them. Let's get to the number two reason we're so excited about this 2023 season. And we believe this team could be so good potentially. And I think it has to be the progression we've seen from Daniel Jones within this offensive system from the start of training camp throughout every single training camp practices, the joint practices as well, which were phenomenal from everybody who was there onlookers. You know, Connor Hughes wrote about it. Uh, Dan Duggan wrote about it. He did a really good job in those joint practices. And then the preseason, obviously limited opportunity in the preseason, just got a single series. But he checked all the boxes there, too. And so that's a pretty steady drumbeat, Nick. And I am more along the lines, if I'm going to be honest, that I want to see it on game film. I want to see it in the real games. I don't love as much the train. I think the training camp stuff's a little overblown. I think the preseason stuff's very overblown, especially because Kafka was scheming that game, and I felt like the opposing defense was not game planning at all. But there also has to be you have to at least take into account the, the fact that Daniel Jones didn't have this kind of buzz last preseason. He didn't have this kind of buzz last training camp. It was the total opposite, right? We showed up at that blue white scrimmage that we, you and I went to and Daniel Jones did not look good in that scrimmage. I think everyone who was there could say that. And it was a little scary. And throughout training camp, we kept hearing Daniel Jones is struggling in practice. A lot of would be sacks, a lot of incompletions, uh, completion rate under 50%. Wink Martindale's blitzes are getting home. And it feels like, all of that he's processed, you know, how Wink runs this defense, how he can attack it. And he's taken that to a new level. We've seen him change up his arm slot a lot so far. This I mentioned this yesterday in the preseason. That's something I like. I feel like the velocity is better. The timing is better. The ball's just coming out quicker, which is a product of getting more comfortable within the system. And so I think at some point, while I don't want to give preseason and training camp the most credit in the world, Nick, I have to give it a lot of credit because it's such a different narrative than where we were at last year. And what could that mean for the season? 
I don't know, but it's fun to think about, right? Because if Daniel Jones takes this massive step this year, I guarantee you the Giants are Super Bowl contenders. And we could be that even if like Leonard Williams gets hurt again and like all these other ancillary pieces start to get hurt or they're not what we expected them to be. If just alone Daniel Jones takes this big jump, immediately you're a Super Bowl contender. That's how important quarterback play is in winning games. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, 
The show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of BlueWire. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. And remember, supporting BlueWire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the GameTime app. The GameTime app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup Final Week 1 this past season. I used the GameTime app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas. Saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the GameTime app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view. Not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get an event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And he has the weapons at his disposal. Finally, Darren Waller, Jalen Hyatt, all of the explosive playmakers that the Giants use now in his second year in this system. So that's a huge part of this because one reason why he struggled so much wasn't just because he was a bad quarterback. 
Every single veteran we've heard from has said that Brian Dable's system is very wordy and it's very complex. It's very complicated. Daniel Jones had to master that. Daniel Jones was getting beat up all throughout training camp, getting his ass kicked. Giants entered the season. They were much more reliant on the run and the play action. And then they started realizing, I think it was around week three, they really started to realize Daniel Jones was really good when he's extemporizing and he's extending plays. Let's lean a little bit more on his natural athletic ability and get him on the move. We started seeing more rollouts. And we've talked a lot about how there were several iterations of the 2022 New York Giants offense. Now, Mike Kafka was able to really design a scheme despite the fact that the Giants had a ton of injuries and this was Daniel Jones' first year in the system. Well, now, Daniel Jones had a whole offseason in this system and they added several playmakers that Daniel Jones really has never played with. He hasn't played with a player like Jalen Hyatt. You could say John Ross. John Ross wasn't really healthy all that often and Jalen Hyatt hopefully has a little bit more to offer than, let's say, John Ross, who was a top 10 pick at one point, but Darren Waller, too. Like that addition alone is such a mismatch nightmare, not just because he is six foot six, he's fast as hell, and he is going to be a really tough cover for basically anybody who is going up against him, but also because Mike Kafka can now lean on 12 personnel, and your 12 personnel package is Daniel Bellinger, who was an excellent tight end option for the Giants last season as a rookie, and Darren Waller, one of the biggest mismatch nightmares in the NFL. That's going to put a lot of defensive coordinators in a bind. They're probably going to align in nickel, and then the Giants are going to run the football. And then if they go in base, the Giants are going to pass the football. It's the chess match of football right there. And I think the Giants gain a little bit more of an edge with a player like Darren Waller because, yeah, he's not a great blocker, but he can lose slow enough, right? And then Daniel Bellinger is definitely a plus blocker as a tight end. So I think Daniel Jones has so many things going for him. How Mike Kafka can call this offense and he has a better, more comprehensive understanding of said offense. And it's only going to lead to more success on the football field. But again, you need to see it manifest because defenses, they're going to be tracking on this. I think it's not going to be, I don't, I don't think rushing lanes are going to be as open as they were last yep. year for Daniel Jones. It's not going to be the Chicago Bears week four where they're just like, I don't think Daniel Jones can run at all. And Daniel Jones just ran all over them. I still think he'll be mobile and he's going to use his legs, but it might not be as easy. I think teams are tracking on the fact that he is pretty damn athletic. It's a good point because we can't expect everything they did last year to work again. Teams have tape on that. And so they're going to have to change things up. But in reality, I feel like it's going to lead to a better version of him because he's going to be relying more on his arm and relying more on getting rid of the football fast to the spot it's supposed to be. And I think he can do that. And we've, you know, talked in the past, Nick, we've debated it's an age old football debate. Like what's more important, giving the quarterback continuity in the system or improving the system. And this was the Jason Garrett debate after his first season. We were very strong on, you know, improving the coordinator. And Dave Gettleman was very, very strong on, we need to give Daniel Jones the same system two years in a row. It was another, you know, uh, not as talked about mishap by Dave Gettleman, you know, just a, another mistake by him, a bad decision by, by him. To be completely honest, I mean, look, it was a dumb decision. That's like one of the most defined ones too. Like, You think he made some mistakes while he was the GM, Dan? Yeah, but some of them, you know, people forget about. That's one I don't think I've ever even heard really people discuss. And think of how big a mistake that was to really, and he made it clear, like, we need to give Daniel Jones. But it's not like he's making that up like he's been in the nfl for a while gentlemen and there is some value to a lot of value to giving the quarterback a second year in the system especially if it's like andy reed with mahomes right like god bless the more years that mahomes gets with reed the better he is the more years any quarterback gets with kyle shannon the better he is the same is now true of any quarterback with brian dable and mike kafka and so daniel jones getting that second year with brian dable and mike kafka is going to help him become a better quarterback it's not like your second year with jason garrett so i think it's really important to consider that as well and nick i want to before we uh, toss this uh tie up this conversation this part of this conversation i want to ask you what your thoughts are on something i brought up earlier regarding 
training camp in the preseason because obviously last offseason, taking it back to there, Jones had that bad training camp, the bad scrimmage, and it ended up meaning absolutely nothing. He had his career year, best season we've seen of him. What? How much value do you put in like how strong of a camp someone's having against you know pat in these ha- mostly padded pra- padless practices and like the joint practices and the preseason stuff? Not a lot. Daniel Jones in his first year, because I want him to make those mistakes. I want him to take those bumps. I want him to take risks in training camp and I want him to learn. And in order to do that, you got to make mistakes. You got to be a little bit bold. If he's thrown interceptions, I don't exactly know what's going on, but that's happening in year one as he's adjusting to the system, similar to Deontay Banks struggling a little bit in training camp this year. I'm not overly worried. I mean, I'm a little worried just because the rookies going against CD lamb and stuff like that, but I'm not like, Oh, he had a bad camp. He's terrible. Allow those mistakes to happen in training camp. If this was year two and Daniel Jones is making a lot of those mistakes now that he has a more firm grasp of the system, I would raise an eyebrow, but that's still not something that's like, oh, he sucks or he's not taking the system because they could be trying new things. So it's just a little bit of conjecture on our part to assume that he's sucking because he's struggling and not knowing what exactly to do, or are they trying new things and seeing if it actually works? And on the flip side of it, like him having so much success could also be the the, the flip side on the defensive side of the ball, right? And things yeah. of that nature. It's hard to really project that. I think I'm more excited about Jones because of what I've seen from him from the, you know, the ability to change those arm slots and two, from just having that second year in the system. That's what has me even more excited than like him having a good camp and things like that. And even in preseason against Carolina, what do you get? 10 plays. The Giants dropped them back 10 times. They were moving Darren Waller all over the formation. They were moving the pocket. They were doing play action slides. They were doing option plays, RPOs. They were doing a lot of creative shit. And when they get in the red zone, we know they're going to do a lot of creative stuff. What'd they do? They aligned Darren Waller out wide. They motioned him in. They had Daniel Bellinger block. And then Daniel Bellinger just slipped underneath Darren Waller's release. And he just basically created a pick. This one thing that this coaching staff, which is going to bleed into point number three, if you just want to have this beautiful segue, like Paul Blart on mall cop, the coaching edge, we could start on offense. The coaching edge is the third point that Dan and I want to stress. And I haven't covered a, an NFL team, the New York Giants specifically, that has a coaching staff who understands how to really maximize rub routes and how to create space. And you see it just off of things as subtle as the wide receiver releases, their alignment, whether they're condensed in a bunch, in a stack. Think about the the first play of preseason with Daniel Jones against Carolina. Daniel Bellinger's release there. He was in a stack. They motioned him into a stack. Daniel Bellinger releases and follows the exact path of the wide receiver's release. I think it might have been Isaiah Hodgins, whatever. Regardless of the fact, he goes into that route and it's basically an option play. Because the linebacker who was covering Darren Waller, best of luck, flowed over the top of that release. The the original receiver who released off the line of scrimmage is acting as a pick. If the linebacker flows over the top of that, then Darren Waller is going to break back inside. The linebacker stays to the inside. Darren Waller is going to run to the flat. Either way, Darren Waller is open. It's putting defenders into conflict. We've talked about it for years. Maybe not as much with Jason Garrett because it didn't happen all that often. But this coaching staff really knows how to do that. They know how to tag options off of the conflict. They really stress specific defenders. And when you have a running back like Saquon Barkley, which you know a lot of defensive coordinators are circling, then you can use the play action element and the zone read element 
RPO element to get Daniel Jones on the move and create half field reads where you have multiple three level reads plus Daniel Jones's legs, which we also saw in the preseason game on the 25 yard catch to Isaiah Hodgins. So there's just so many options that Mike Kafka affords Daniel Jones and this offense. And that's, I really feel like a huge reason why I'm confident in this team this year because of Mike Kafka and Brian Dable's ability to scheme players open and put defenders into conflict. I agree. I debated whether we should put that two or three. I just feel like the confidence level that we both have right now with Jones heading into the season, it could be one, too. It really could be one. Um, but I was just so stunned by that stat that Doug Analytics put out about how dominant the defensive line was with those four healthy, happy it over small sample size. But I do feel like the Jones thing, too. I just feel a lot, a lot of confidence with him heading into the season. I'm, I'm higher on Daniel Jones right now, obviously, than I've ever been. That was the, the case last season for us both as well. We really came along. You can check out our film reviews last year and just and see some of the Twitter threads we put out there to see, you know, more evidence on that. But as far as the coaching edge goes, I love that you broke down the subtleties, right? Because if you can look at this from the micro level like that, or the macro level, the macro level that I want to focus on, and because you just did a good job breaking down the subtleties is the fact that every single week, it feels like they have a different game plan for the opponent. That did not feel like that was the case for Ben McAdoo. It obviously wasn't. If you look at the tape, or Jason Garrett. I know at times Jason Garrett tried to do some things, but it didn't really, it didn't really land, and it wasn't he wasn't committed to them really, in my opinion. Like it would be like a few times, a handful of times in the game. But this in his defense team, too, yeah. not to cut you off, and okay. I'm not going to sit here and just defend Jason Garrett. But his offensive line, the entire time he was there, was horrible. True. True. That is a problem. It's hard to run an offense with a bad offensive line. And he never really had Saquon Barkley either. I will say this, Nick. It's hard to run an offense with a bad offensive line, but I feel like Kafka and Dable kind of figured it out last year. At times, that offensive line was really bad. When Neil was hurt, when they had issues on the interior, like it, it wasn't yeah. as bad because Thomas was there. Right. Of course. Like Garrett never really had prime Thomas, Andrew Thomas. So, and he didn't have any Saquon Barkley either. Because, well, he had a little bit of injured Saquon Barkley, but that didn't really count. It doesn't really count. So these are definite unfair, you know, parts of, but even if you just look at just the difference in how often they're using pre-snap motion, the subtleties you discussed, the macro level of every single week, it felt like almost uh, Kafka and Dable introduced something new in the run game from a blocking standpoint. Every single week, it felt like they were introducing new passing concepts as well. Some they relied on more often than others. It felt like maybe the run game was a bit more diverse, but that's okay. In the passing game, they they found something they found success with. And even like you like to always mention, Nick, that's the, the phases of the season where the offense was like the run heavy, run through Barkley. Then it was the shotgun heavy, go through Jones. Just that ability to change your offense and adapt in season like that, in addition to in adapting on a week-to-week -week basis to the opponent, it is really impressive stuff like you think it should be obvious things like using pre-snap motion stacking the receivers bunch formation rub routes to create free releases all these things seem obvious to us and to people who follow the game at this level but like then again McAdoo wasn't doing it Garrett wasn't really doing it and I feel like if you look across the NFL like Mac whatever his first name Canada and the Steelers like a lot of these coordinators that I look at film of and I'm watching this tape I'm like this passing game is so stale and it's lacking so much diversity and how do you expect to win i mean you can like M mccarthy found a way to do it with aaron Rodgers, but he had aaron Rodgers. like yeah if you have an elite quarterback you can probably get away with a stale offense but then again if you have an elite quarterback and you have a diverse offense a la patrick mahomes and andy reed now you can cook with gas when you have Marcus Valdez Scantling running 90% of route and Justin Watson, who literally was, in my opinion, one of the worst receivers in the NFL running routes last year, like created zero separation. 
whatsoever. And I don't think Vandalist Valdez Scoutling, by the way, creates, creates any separation either. Every time I watched Ch the Chiefs on tape, I was like, there's no separation created outside of Travis Kelsey here. So when you have that kind of thing come together, Jones maybe taking that step, the consistency from K uh, Kafka and Dable on a week to week basis. That's when you start to think like, can this offense, can this passing game take that next step? And it feels like they really have an opportunity to. And I think they will. And if we flip it on the defensive side of the football, it's Wink Martindale with upgraded personnel. And you have two rookies back there starting a cornerback, a little bit problematic. Yes. The uh, improvement of the pass rush is going to take some off their shoulders as we brought up. And then there's Bobby Okereke, which we'll talk about maybe a little bit later too. So when's the last time the Giants had a linebacker like this guy? I would I would say it was, and he was he only did it for like a season or a half a season. John Beeson. It was John Beeson when they traded for Beeson, but then he got injured again. There was a lot of injury problems then. Before that, in interior, like Michael Boldy was good, but he wasn't that role. No, nah, so he wasn't that role. Um, before Beeson and for like a longer it's period. Antonio Pierce. It's Pierce. It goes all the way back to 2008 range with Pierce. Exactly. I think that's one thing we're like, yeah, they signed him to $10 million a year. It's a little bit much, which you can argue it is, but just watching him in preseason and also watching through his Colts tapes, like, dude, this guy's a ball magnet. He, he knows where to be at all times. He's wildly physical. He's very disciplined. He has a little bit of an edge to him as giant fans found out in week 17 last year. His addition with Wink Martindale, as you brought up uh, last podcast, I believe it was, it's going to add a little bit to the pass rush as well. A little bit of juice to the pass rush. I think he's a good coverage linebacker as well in terms of his long arms. He's athletic. He's smart. Wink Martindale could just do so much with a player like this. And we just haven't seen a linebacker like Bobby Okereke wearing Giants blue in so damn long. You're right. And you think about him getting his hands up in those pass lanes. I think he'll be better in zone coverage than man coverage. Personally, I looked at some of the stats as I was, we were going over the uh, podcast we did yesterday for breakouts. Um, and he obviously made the list for me. I felt he gave, he gave up a high catch percentage last year, but must've been some snaps. But again, we've talked about this in the past, Nick, no one besides Fred Warner is covering anybody in man coverage at that position. It's just the linebacker catches given up to me is such yeah, a dumb stat. stat. It is such a shitty stat. Because a lot of them are third and long, and you just allow the guy to catch it, rally and tackle. Yes, and then that goes on you for giving up a cat. You're right, and that's exactly. just stupid. And your cash percentage looks bad, but it's like that's kind of a good win for the defense because they threw short of the sticks, and you tackled him before he got to the sticks, and now they're punting. Like, we can't give that a <laughs> negative. It's stupid. I, I was thinking about, do you? I wonder if, um, and I'll talk about the larger point after this. It's just something fun I was thinking about. I wonder if, Daniel Jones and Bobby Okereke ever had a conversation about that week 17 game. And like, well, <laughs> do you think they ever did? I feel like they, I, I, I want to think they did. I want to say someone on the beat asked Bobby Okereke that, but it was like before he arrived to the building and he was like, nah, who would be the one to approach the other one? 100%. It would have to be Bobby because it's not Daniel Jones. No shot. That's the thing. Cause Eli, people would be like, yeah, Eli's a little reserved. Eli would be the one to approach. Bobby oh, yeah. Prank, okay. He'd be already a pranked the hell out of Bobby O'Carrick. If it oh, was yeah. Eli, Bobby O'Carrick would have woken up after the first day of training camp with like dog <laughs> shit in his, in his, <laughs> excuse my language, in his, in his, uh, lock in, in like his, his cleats or something in his locker room. Yeah, it would have been great. But yeah, it would definitely have to be Bobby O'Carrick. They probably just laughed about it. Look, they're competitors. If I'm Bobby O'Carrick, I'm taking that stuff personally too. Not because the Giants are doing anything wrong. It's because your team is an absolute laughing stock. You just blew a huge lead against the Minnesota Vikings. And now you're having Daniel Jones run all over your defense in the second half of a game. 
it's like, damn, I, I would have a chip on my shoulder. I'd probably throw a little bit of a cheap shot as well. And then it's Jeff Saturday coming out after the game, calling out Kayvon Thibodeau for the Snow Angels, which I can easily see how that's in poor taste and how that's perceived to be in poor taste. Thibodeau claims he didn't know, whatever. But Bobby O'Karrake walking the line, towing the line when he would tackle Daniel Jones in the one play. There's no doubt about that. But to your larger point, Nick, I feel like last year the Giants won a lot of games because Wink Martindale had creative, creative blitzes at key spots batted balls to line of scrimmage, typically some really big calls and execution by the players who were on the field. Big call, obviously, Dexter Lawrence was, in my opinion, the best player on the Giants by far last season. I think Andrew Thomas has a case to be second best, but I think if you're looking at best on a, from the film standpoint, it was Dexter Lawrence. He wrecked games for, for opposing offenses, um, but and that helps. But outside of like Lawrence, considering the injuries to, to, to Aziz and Leonard and kind of even a Dory Jackson as well, you know, you can take Kayvon out of that, but he'd even miss some time as well. He didn't have that much to work with from a personnel standpoint, I felt like, on the defense side of the ball. Now, I think, now you talked about Bobby Okereke being added to the mix, Ashawn Robinson getting back the big names health-wise, adding a Deontay Banks-type talent to the roster, maybe Jason Pinnock as well. And he's just working with so much more. And he found a way to come up in big spots on those third downs and in the red zone. And look, the Giants won a lot of games. But they didn't score a lot of points last year. They won a lot of games by... Close, like you said, I think it was eight one-score games, if I'm not mistaken, the number, eight or nine. And a lot of them were low-scoring, right? Like, But they had a few 30-point games in the end against Minnesota and I, I believe one other team, that I'm, or the Colts in Minnesota. But outside of that, Wink Martindale's unit came to play despite him not having that much talent to work with. And that gives that gives me confidence that, again, we have that coaching edge on the defense side of the ball. I felt like, with the exception of Kellen Moore and maybe a couple other games that I'm not like thinking of right now, no one really out-schemed Wink Marndell last year. Like you could look at the Eagles games, Nick's, and be like, what about the Eagles game? The Eagles offense did good against Giants. It's like, eh, was that scheme or was that personnel? And I feel like the answer to that was that was a personnel advantage. Um, so outside of the Cooper Rush game with Kellen Moore and maybe a couple others in the beginning, I'm not thinking of right now. I feel like he had the edge there too on a weekly basis. So I do feel confident with Wink Marndale, and I'm excited to see him actually work with a little bit more talent on the defense side of the ball. I love that you brought up the Cooper Rush game because it's it's just like the Giants didn't know they were terrible yet in terms of their linebackers. Like, I'm sure they probably internally knew, but they're like, you know what? In week one and week two, they haven't exploited it yet, so maybe we could keep it quiet. Kellen Moore was like, nah, son. And he just started running crack toss, crack toss, crack toss, and the Giants just couldn't do anything to stop Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. And another thing about Wink Martindale's defense, and we'll move on after this, he was just highly efficient, which doesn't always carry over, which gives me a little bit of, I'm a little upset about that. I wish it always carried over, but he was highly efficient on third down. And one reason is because he's so deceptive with, is he bringing pressure? Is he dropping? Is he sending the pressure? He sent the pressure a lot, ran a lot of cover zero last year. I think it was around 10%, which is just an absolutely insane. And a lot of it was from quarter personnel. So you're just talking about a lot of speed. We don't have it in front of us. We'll find that out. But I don't think the next highest was like 5% or lower for cover zero dude, dude i don't think the next highest was even like one percent <laughs> that's insane i'm not even i'm not even lying one out of every 10 snaps he's running cover zero and for those who don't know nick just in case people are new to the podcast yeah. go over real quick what cover zero is cover zero just means there's no safety so there's a bunch of people blitzing and it's man covered across the board so it's mono mono in terms of cornerback on wide receiver running back on linebacker no safety help over the top and wink martindale sends it bro he loves himself some cover zero and he has the personnel to really employ it now and also in the red zone he forced a lot of field goals the giants yeah. 
were really efficient in the red zone. That also doesn't always carry over. But I think when you have players like Dexter Lawrence and you have guys on the back end as well now with a little bit of an upgrade there, and you also have the philosophy and scheme of Wink Martin, where you have no idea what the hell is coming, it allows you to be or it leads you to be a little bit more efficient on defense. So that's one reason because, dude, like I said, you align seven, eight guys on the line of scrimmage, you bail and you only send three. You got to process the fact that there's three and now you have eight guys in space covering. Eventually, Kayvon Thibodeau, Zizo Jolari, and Dexter Lawrence, or Leonard Williams, whoever's rushing the passer, is going to get home at one point. Not to mention the Giants send a lot of simulated pressures as well, where they only send four, but they act like they're going to send six or seven, and you don't know where those four are coming from, creating free rushers. One of the reasons why, and we kind of, I don't want to say criticize Kayvon Thibodeau for this, but we just acknowledge it because it's a reality. He had four sacks last season. Two of them were unblocked. Some of the reasons why he had a lot of unblocked sack opportunities as well as other players on the Giants is because of Wink Martindale's scheme. It's all about pre-snap alignment and manipulating the opposing protection package. Yep, exactly right. And so, yeah, fourth thing we're going to go with here, Nick, we alluded to a little bit earlier, but we're excited about the fact, the simple fact here, the Giants have more mismatches on the offensive side of the ball from a skill position standpoint than they had last year. And in my opinion, they've had quite some time. And I want to start with the number one for me, and it's Darren Waller. I actually took some time, Nick, a little while ago to go back and watch his some some film from his career year. Luckily, as you know, Nick, um, and you have some, some access from in your own way now, we have some access to old tape. And I watched him that year with Gruden and I just thought there was so it was so unique the ways that Gruden utilized him to get him open on the vertical plane and then also on the horizontal plane. And then I started to see some of that in training camp and I started to see some of that in the preseason in that one drive. And I started to think about it and listening to Travis, uh, not Travis Kelsey, to George Kittle, who who went on a podcast and said the fastest tight end at tight end you by far is Darren Waller. And they said he is the strongest, too, which I didn't really understand at the time. But I kind of get it now watching some of his tape, the way he gets into his routes and the way he can kind of create that separation and how strong he is at the contact point where really he shows off all those traits, the ability to adjust in air that body control. I don't think he's lost from what I've seen this preseason and training camp. I think he's still the same player. Does he, you know, is he maybe an injury prone guy? Is he not 2019 was his breakout season. That's the one I'm referencing 2020, 2020 or, or 2020, 2021, 2022, some injuries for sure. But like right now he looks just like the player that was put, that he put the, the film of. And even if like some of the tape we went, uh, remember that Steelers game, we looked at Nick right yeah. when they traded for Waller. He looked the same in that tape. And that was from last year after he came back from the injury. And, you know, he had bad injuries last year early on. He's been fully healthy so far in camp. No scares yet for Darren Waller. So I just think adding him to this offense creates a bigger mismatch than people realize. Like, I will take him as a mismatch over a lot of players that people think right now, Nick, are better than him. Like, I'm just going to run through some names that to me, he's a better mismatch than T Higgins. I love T Higgins, man. I think he's a great player in the NFL, Nick. I think Darren Waller is a bigger mismatch on a snap to snap basis. I think you could do more with him as a coordinator, right? And he's viewed as a very, let's throw some other names out there. Keenan Allen, great player, gets open in the slot, has a great rapport with Justin Herbert. Is he the same mismatch that Darren Waller is or anywhere close? No. And you could go through a lot of players that people think, even like DeAndre Hopkins, the Giants wanted, fans wanted to trade for him. I think Darren Waller adds more from a mismatch standpoint than Hopkins does. Can you guard him with a linebacker? Can you guard him with a safety? Do you have to put your best player on Waller? Do you have to put multiple players on Waller? Are there going to be situations like we've seen already in the preseason where three different guys are in, in the joint practice, where three different guys are focusing on Darren Waller in the red zone, and then Darius Slayton's wide open. This is from the joint practices to catch a touchdown in the red zone. 
And so I don't know if all that stuff's happening with those types of wide receivers. And I know it's going to happen with Waller when he's on the field. And so that's, that's the first guy I want to touch on. We can get into Jalen High and what he could also offer the offense, but I think Waller's impact, it's something that could be really special for the Giants this year. I wonder, and this just dawned on me, and I love all the information you just put out there. Is there a team in the NFL that has, and there might be, that has a bigger mismatch combination at running back and tight end than the New York Giants? Great question. Not the Chiefs. I don't really think any of those running backs are mismatches. Not the Ravens. Not Mark Andrews and the Ravens. I mean, J.K. Dobbins, I like him, but I like him more as like a between-the-tackles processor and somebody who really understands where the hole is going to be than a mismatch that you have to worry about. So not the Ravens. I don't really find Hawkinson to be that impressive of a tight end. I think he's just like a fantasy guy that caught a shit ton of passes and had a ton of targets last year. He's not my guy. Um, Evan Ingram's kind of a mismatch. And you can maybe consider Ingram ETN. I wouldn't put that. I wouldn't put him in the But to me, Waller and Saquon are, are so much. That's my, that's my point. So when teams run man coverage, which is a coverage that the Giants and every NFL team is going to see a lot on third down, third and short, third and medium, I feel like the Giants are going to have a natural advantage when they're facing man coverage just off of two players, 12 and 26, and Darren Waller and Saquon Barkley. And that doesn't even include all of their outside guys and all the scheme that comes eight. from Mike Kafka and Brian Dable. Right. So eight, right? I'm sorry. We're number or eight because he or can number move eight. Can the ball in those third and short situations or third and long. Absolutely. And when you have to worry about Waller and Saquon and all those other players in Kafka eight, you could forget about them if you don't have a quarterback spy. And that's also going to slow down pass rush at times. I don't think a lot of teams are going to dial back their pass rush. But if Daniel Jones is consistently burning defenses, those edge rushers might play contain and they might rush contain and also try to collapse on the B gap, which so many teams didn't do last year. <laughs> it's like, holy yeah. crap. They just kept trying to run around Evan Neal. It's like, good. Just keep trying to run around him. Daniel Jones is going to step up, maneuver the pocket and then pick up six, seven, eight yards in a first down, which he did so often, Dan. So that's one thing that I think uh, we haven't really brought up yet, but the mismatch combination of Saquon Barkley and, and Darren Waller, it could be the best in the league at tight end running back. I love that. I think, I don't think we're being homers and saying that it is the best in the league, honestly, from a mismatch standpoint, right? From like what you have to allocate as a defense resources wise to stop these players. And then, like you said, you add in Jones's dual threat and that changes it a, a lot as well. Go ahead. And it's just like linebacker or safety against these specific players in man coverage. I feel like the giants and Daniel Jones is going to know, Hey, 56 out there. He doesn't have 26, right? You know, 12 out there. It's good. Have linebackers and safeties to match up with these guys. We think about all the teams that have them, like the Fred Warner types and all these star type safety players that can do it. But like a lot of these teams don't haven't invested recently in those positions and don't have that. Like think about the giants last year. They had Jalen Smith and Austin Calitro at linebacker. Like that's going to happen for some teams. The giants play this year. And there's going to be some teams that don't have the safeties either that play the role that can match up with these guys in man. Unfortunately, the Cowboys aren't one of those teams because no. Jerron Curse is one of the best man covering safeties in the league. He's very physical. He's very long. Doesn't mean Darren Waller can't get the best of them, but they're uh, they 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 got some dudes on the back end in terms of covering big tight ends for sure. Um, and now let's get into some other th players that could be also mismatches this year. Both sides of the ball. I'm going to say Jalen Hyatt. I'm going to throw out there. Isaiah Simmons. I'm going to throw out there. Anyone else you want to throw out there? Or do you want to uh, touch on any of those players more than that? I think we've we touched a little bit on Hyatt and we've touched a lot on Simmons since the giants have acquired him. So I don't want to be too redundant here, but all I want to say, and I know we've brought this up in the past, Jalen Hyatt, 
the Giants ran a ton of stutter goes last year where the wide receiver on the outside, outside the numbers, and this is against middle of the field closed looks, and that's cover one, which the Dallas Cowboys and Dan Quinn run a lot. Whenever that middle of the field safety, Daniel Jones is going to take the snap, is going to look to his left, know that Jalen Hyatt is running a stutter go. That's going to influence the safety to the left, and then he's going to come back to the right, and he's going to take that one-on-one shot. Jalen Hyatt is going to decelerate and sink his hips at the sticks about 10 yards down the field. Giants love to open drives with this, and then he's just going to explode. He did it against Sauce Gardner in the first play of the game, Dan, and he had Sauce Gardner beat by like three and a half yards. Sauce can say whatever the hell he wants. He was toast. A better throw, it's done. Safety wasn't going to get over there. The Giants are going to incorporate this on first and 10, sudden change situations to open drives, to open games. And I think just Jalen Hyatt's speed, I don't know if... I don't know if cornerbacks are quite aware of how fast this dude truly is and not just how fast Dan, but how explosive he is out of the break. Once he goes into those stutter and acts as if he is decelerating and coming back towards the quarterback. So I'm looking forward to that because I love Trevon Diggs. I think he's a fantastic cornerback, a little bit aggressive, but a bit aggressive means he's going to bite down on that. And I don't think he has a type of recovery speed to catch back up. If Hyatt gains that step. I love that you brought that up, Nick, because I think about Dan Quinn, how aggressive he is on defense. A lot of, like you said, middle of the field, close looks. And that to me is always a treat when I pay that for me personally, when the giants get to face those types of coordinators, Nick, because I've made this point a bunch in the past, but to me on film, Daniel Jones is a much better quarterback against man than zone. It's been the case since his rookie year, all of his good games in his rookie year came against man, heavy defenses, Detroit lions. There's he's just a bit in my mind, a bit, he can diagnose it better and he gets the ball out. He's more confident. I feel like in where it's going to be right in zone, there's windows that are there, but you got to really have the confidence that you're going to get the ball in there. And it's not always going to look as pretty and man, you just have to find the right matchup and trust it. And so I like that they might face a little bit of man week one. And then I like the second point you made. Man-heavy defense with a lot of aggression from Dan uh, Dan Quinn and then Trayvon Diggs, an aggressive corner who might bite on one of those routes. I think we're going to have a good chance to get a big play in the passing game in week one against the Cowboys. I don't know if it's going to be Slayton or if it's going to be Hyatt. That I'm not sure of on the outside, but I think it's going to come against Diggs and I think it's going to come against this style of defense. And even think back to two years ago, Nick, when everything was going bad for the Giants. Jason Garrett was still the coordinator. I believe it. No, Jones played most of the game. Then he got concussed and Glennon came in. Kadarius Tony whooped Trayvon Diggs and Trayvon Diggs played him super aggressively. And Tony just absolutely hammered him for like 169 in a game. What was it like? He had like 170 yards or something crazy in the game. It's by getting ejected in the game. And so I just think about that. Diggs, Quinn with some single high, with some middle field closed looks. I'm excited, man. I think we could be getting an explosive play right away in week one, potentially. Just need about a six, maybe even a seven-man protection. Yeah, Because I am worried about Micah Parsons. Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) And that's why it didn't happen in week one or the Thanksgiving game. It was mostly that. It was that they couldn't feel comfortable dialing up those plays because they didn't feel comfortable in five or seven-step drops. Week three was it. It it was week three, but that was a a eye-opening experience for giant fans and and for all because we were two and oh heading into that game and evan neal's talks like man i've never gotten my ass kicked like that throughout my entire career i was always dominant you know and he had a bad game he was also um i think he was was he dealing with the injury by that point uh i don't know no i don't think so but no he got hurt against jacksonville my bad but either way it was a rough game for evan neal and that's like i said a little bit earlier in the podcast that's kind of when the giants were like damn daniel jones is 
tough and he's fast and he's athletic. And I don't even, he didn't have over like a hundred rushing yards or anything, but how many times in the second half of that game was that guy just scrambling around, just taking huge hits from Dallas. Let's not see those huge hits, but I think it did open the eyes of this coaching staff. Like our offensive line is an issue. We're going to have to incorporate a lot of move the pocket and allow Daniel Jones to get out on the move. So we're probably going to see that again. I just hope that the giants, which they're going to run bootleg, they should run bootleg. But don't naked bootleg to Micah Parsons too often because I just don't think that guy is going to bite all that frequently. And if Daniel Jones goes the naked bootleg and turns right into 11 on Dallas, I'm just scared to see what's going to happen. Yeah, we don't want, we don't want that situation <laughs> arising. All right, let's get to number five, our final reason why we're so excited about the giant season. Some people might be like, why wasn't this one? Well, Nick and I have been staunch believers, and we've made it clear on this podcast that we believe NFL games are mostly decided by the passing game. But you need the run game as a foundation. You need to at least be competent in that regard. Or you could have what happened to the Giants multiple times last year. Teams just run the same scheme over and over on them, power gap principles and different types of things to get to the outside, and you get crushed like the Giants against the Eagles. So with that said, number five, we feel pretty confident the Giants did a really good job and are either there or cl as close without being there as they can get to and, and will be there at some point this season to eliminating what was honestly their biggest weakness from last year. And that was their run defense in 2022. It ranked among the worst in the NFL. It killed them in multiple games, including the playoff game that they lost. And their decision to sign Bobby O'Karake to that contract, bring in Ashawn Robinson, bring in Nacho, bring in Boogie Basham, Jordan Riley, a draft pick who they love and is showing out early. Micah McFadden taking that step and hopefully that second year step in run defense. I feel a lot more confident now, Nick, that they're going to, I'm not saying they're going to have the best run defense in the NFL. That seems ridiculous to say, considering how bad they were last year, but I have confidence they're going to emerge as an, as a slightly above average run defense in 2023. And that alone takes them from, takes it from their biggest weakness to average, little above average. And that's good. That's all you need. I think they could be top 10 if everything works out for them. I think they have the talent to be there. There are a few players on this team that I look at and I'm like, I'm a little concerned about you against the run. Mike McFadden, I'm going to put in there. I'm not overly concerned about him against the run. That's one of the reasons why I had him as one of my sleepers yesterday. But is there a is there a situation or a scenario where it might not work out all that well? Yeah, there is. But I've seen flashes of of a good run defender, especially with him not being the main guy. It's not like he's playing next to Tay Crowder or even Jalen Smith. He's going to be playing against or next to Bobby Okereke. But I don't know how much this player is going to see the football field, but I'm a little worried if he does. And it's going to be in the slot, which is a very important yes. position. And it's Cordell Flott. Uh, that's one player that I'm like, I, I don't know how much I trust him in terms of being a run defender. But other than that, Dan, a Dory Jackson, who will likely see the slot quite a bit, Deontay Banks, Trey Hawkins, the third Jason Pinnock. I have confidence in all of those players. They're all defensive backs in terms of fitting the run and not being liabilities and not missing a lot of tackles. Aziz Ojolari is another player that kind of gets grouped in here. I think he's going to be a little bit more situational. I think you're going to see Jihad Ward and Boogie Basham out there. Both of those players I'm confident in, in terms of run defense. So I'm looking around at this team with the upgrades that they made. And I think the ceiling in terms of run defense is top 10. That's the ceiling. Now, will they reach it? I'm not sure. But that's freaking far better than what they were last year. They ranked like 28th in terms of rushing yards allowed per game. And I, I wish I had a stat to to really figure out how much of that was against power gap. Cause they had to be dead yeah. last. No, yeah, I, 
I could look that up after this from True Media. There is definitely some some good info on that, and I think it was a massive difference for the Giants against power gap than zone rushing teams. The reason I'm a little more skeptical that it's going to be as good as top ten is I still feel like just from the fil- like the overall film we watched last year, they did have some trouble with Thibodeau included. I like Thibodeau as a backside run yeah. defender, but with Thibodeau and Ojolari as far as setting the edge in the run game. And that's something that is non-negotiable for a good run deep for a top 10 run defense, I should say. And then my other thing is I do think Pinnock has the skill set to be a good run defender, but I do want to see it a little bit more. I feel like he was good as a blitzer, but there's such a different, like to be a good run defender and fitting that alley, like get, be a good alley defender. It's, I feel like it's more like kind of the things that Julian Love did, like just being in the right spot at the right time and just a lot of mental processing. And I'm not saying he can't do that. It's just something I want to see first before feeling common. And then the third thing is what you brought up, which is a big concern for me. Anytime flots on the field and run defense or any of those kind of types of uh, corners uh, from the nickel spot. The Giants, as we've said several times, they bring a lot of blitz, a lot of pressure. And sometimes when you do that, your run fits get all screwed up. But I say that, and then I also think back to when Wink Martindale was the defensive coordinator of the Ravens and I feel like the Ravens had a really staunch really strong physical run defense while he was there and it was actually the coverage that was the issue specifically in his last year because of all the injuries that he suffered so it's it's possible and I think the Giants have the personnel to still be a very good run defense yeah I think you're right the ceiling is there all right, that's all we have for today on the Big Blue Vandercott podcast. These are the five reasons we're most excited about the Giants in 2023. Thank you again for listening, subscribing, hopefully, uh, iTunes, Spotify, on YouTube. We are close, by the way, Nick, to what our goal was to get to week one. That's three days from now and have 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. We are at 4.9 something right now. So please, if you haven't already subscribed, help us get over the hump and get to 5K. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. We will be talking to you very soon. We have a couple more podcasts coming before the game on Sunday. And then obviously, the recap live after the game Sunday night. 